Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs, Some Introduction. Last week was a little busy. I think I recorded both of those conversations by myself in recapping The Last of Us. (laughs) Well, I mean, I was the one who was mostly busy, so uh, no apology necessary. Yeah, I have no involvement in the zombies, so that's (laughs) That's not on me. Before we get into this new episode of Your Honor, which was called... Oh, of course. Fourteen. <laughs> I'm looking for I'm looking for the name <laughs> of the title. And I was just like, of course, it's just it's just a number. Number four. It's part fourteen. Part fourteen. But before we get to that, I did actually after last week's shortened recap episode, I did have a conversation with Sona about part thirteen. Before we get to that, if you wanted to support the show, as usual, look through our catalog. If you'd like to get caught up on the shows we're going to be covering next, as I've announced in the previous episodes. Coincidentally, this is exciting to me because these are two shows I'm very much looking forward to, but it is going to be a little daunting from Mm -hmm. an editing perspective. (laughs) We will be covering Yellow Jackets and Succession in tandem. Succession, for me in general, is probably the most entertaining show for me, not only to watch, but then also to discuss. So that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most, maybe for the entire year. Uh, And then, of course, I'm also very, very curious about the second season of Yellow Jackets. How can they expand this story? I don't think the show has gotten to its full potential, but there's a lot of potential in that show. And of course, it went virally popular last year. So it's going to be a big hit when it comes back. And I'm sure a lot of people are very enthusiastic to see it. And both of those shows will be running at the exact same time and we'll be covering here in the podcast. So if you want to get caught up on that, check out our catalog for those episodes on Succession, we covered the entirety of last season. On Yellow Jackets, we have at least two, maybe three episodes covering that show. So do check through our catalog to catch up on those. And The Last of Us has become a huge hit. Uh, This has grown for three weeks in a row from a perspective of total audience only. House of the Dragon has had a bigger viewership for its first three episodes. Another big hit on their hands. And HBO, of course, is in the middle of this huge win streak. They just had White Lotus, which, of course, we covered here as well. So if you're catching up on that show, a show that continues to be very popular. You don't follow these things, Sona, but House of the Dragon, for example, had much bigger ratings than White Lotus. But like one week after the show wraps up, you see it fall right off the charts. Like, you know, maybe the very next week, people Mm -hmm. are kind of binging. Some people are catching up on season one, but it pretty much disappears from the top 10 right away. White Lotus had its finale the following week its ratings were higher (laughs) on the charts i think like my wife went back and watched season one after finishing season two and and basically you know the weekly streaming numbers come out and it's still in the top 10 it's just like people just keep catching up on that show so hbo is just in the middle of a very strong yeah good for them and i had one more piece of news for people who have been following this whole commentary i've been making on how crazy it is that these um streaming services have been kicking shows off of their services and where are they going to land? And for example, speaking of HBO, they have kicked a bunch of their content off some things. For example, Westworld, which was one of their signature shows, not only did they cancel the upcoming season, which they had already paid for, they you know, basically decided not to go forward with it, even though they were going out of pocket tens of millions of dollars. They also just removed the show from their service. And I'm like, what is happening with streaming? People pay for the streaming content supposedly so you have access to this in the future if you wanted to binge white uh, westworld it's all gone <laughs> as i had kind of predicted eventually these things are going to shake out and they'll end up on one of these other streaming services because there's so many of them now desperate for content and that's kind of what's happened it looks like hbo has cut some deal with tubi and now you can watch westworld on tubi with advertisements this is very weird like why spend all this money 
and then give it away to another streaming service. It, I don't understand it, the accounting of all of this, but it, it, but this is how this is what's happening at this moment. Sona, from your perspective of essential streaming services, do you have a list of the must-haves, the the wanna-haves that never watch? Gosh, you know, I feel like it changes, and there are times that something feels essential, but then when I'm done watching that season, that you know, of whatever show, then I don't touch it again for months at a time, and I think. Right. In that way, people who can stay on top of things are probably at a big economic advantage because right. they can remember to like, oh, I'm done watching that on Hulu. I don't really want to watch anything else on Hulu. Let me turn it off and, until something else comes along. But instead, right. we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have whatever else, you know, I, okay. I don't even know. It's not ideal, this whole situation. When we were doing our year and wrap up, I was going to say, what are your essential services? Like put them in the list. Because I kind of surprised myself is doing in doing this thought exercise, something I didn't think I would ever say when HBO Max came along, I wasn't certain if this is like a must-have. HBO has absolutely become a must-have for me. It's not only the fact that, you know, there's obviously the big hits that HBO has. They have this great catalog of shows, <laughs> as long as the ones that stick around anyway. I'm not a fan mm -hmm. of Westworld, so I didn't really mind that that went away. And I have a feeling like The Sopranos and The Wire will never disappear. Still, if you have not caught up on some of those classics, they're all there. And and then there's other things too. There's like the Cartoon Network. There's a lot of these um, shows that I get caught up on. Like I recommended the Comedy South Central, which is on HBO Max now, but original originated on Comedy Central, which is under the umbrella of HBO also. They have a lot of other content that's kind of um, under the surface that's really valuable. And they also have Turner Classic Movies. So sometimes there's just classic movies I'm looking for. Where can I stream that? And I can actually stream it on HBO. So they have a really strong catalog. HBO Max is one that I do have, and I wouldn't give it up, I don't think. Get rid of, right? Yeah. yeah. I won't go down my whole list, but I think my number two was Amazon Prime because they end up, for example, they have some kind of agreement with Showtime. So most of the Showtime shows, the catalog ones, are available to stream there, like The Affair and Billions even mm, is available mm -hmm. there. Plus, they have you know a lot of the movies that sh turn up on Hulu premieres. They show up on Amazon Prime at the same time. Once again, they have this, some kind of strange relationship there. And not only that, their original content. I have found a lot of the recommendations I've made recently for shows I've been catching up on came from Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. My biggest surprise was that the service I think I could get rid of is Netflix. Like other than one of these shows that goes really really viral on Netflix, I barely watch Netflix ever. <laughs> it's very mm -hmm. strange. It's probably the service we all have. And take for granted and no i i agree i i don't know every now and then there's something everyone's talking about and so then i go to netflix but it's not a go-to for me i wouldn't say me and my wife will look for something to watch and we go to like the main menu and i'm like no don't want to watch any of this so i'm like it's it's very strange that we even pay for it and it's pretty expensive compared to some of the other services you know the whole idea of like cutting the cable and we're all going to save so much like, money when we cut yeah. cable and it's i'm sure we're we're back where we started if not more yeah i mean and that's inevitably going to be the problem all this catering to streaming is catering to a young audience and most of those people are basically stealing their cable or piggybacking onto their parents' cable um, packages and services. And it's very funny that that's the audience they've been chasing until now. And I think that's why they're having this, this culling process is occurring. All these companies are losing business and Netflix is pretty expensive for what it is. 
as is HBO compared to these other services, but they have the content so they can charge a lot of money for it. But everybody, Disney Plus just had a had terrible quarter, even though their growth is incredible. It's almost like the bigger they get, the more money they lose because of how cheap the service is. So everybody's talking about how do we, you know, they're going to double the price on Disney Plus. They're going to double the price on Hulu. They're going to double the price. So basically everything that survives is going to just cost much, much more. So right now, like I'm using, you know, paying $1 a month for Showtime. I'm paying a dollar a month for uh, Hulu. By the way, Showtime is being folded into, I don't know if you heard this, but now Paramount and Showtime are folded into one service. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't hear about that. So that's their new strategy is merging the two services together. And Sona, what great name do you think they came up with for this new service? Showmount, Paratime. <laughs> those, would, those would be better. It's Paramount <laughs> Plus with Showtime. Holy cow. <laughs> that's why they make the big bucks. Sona, that's why they make the big bucks. <laughs> they just want to be very, very explicit about what you're getting. Anyway, yeah, that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably continue to talk about this uh, story, this ongoing streaming story, because it, it is really interesting to me and uh, how these people all jumped headfirst, burning through billions of dollars worth of cash. And now they're all trying to back out as quickly as possible. But uh, anyway, we'll see how it all shakes out in the end. The one good thing that we all get to have as consumers is that there are so many shows right now, all the shows you can't catch caught up with now, by the way, You'll have plenty of time to catch up with it in the future because all these companies are going to go bankrupt and they'll all end up on Tubi with with advertisements. <laughs> so, and that'll be free probably for for the foreseeable future. So, a show that is definitely going away because it only has two season order <laughs> is <Yes>. Your Honor. <laughs> but and before we get into this particular episode of Your Honor, let's listen to the conversation I recorded with Sona earlier. Uh, and not only did we discuss that episode last week's very good episode of show. Mm-hmm. We also discussed a little bit of Poker Face. Anyway, so let's get into that conversation. And then on the other side of that, we'll finally get into our conversation about this current week's episode, Chapter 14. All right, Sona. So we had a busy weekend and we did not we get a did. chance. We saw each other in person. <laughs> we actually saw each other. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, we weren't able to, uh, ironically, we saw each other in person, but could not record. <laughs> it's, it's more convenient to be far apart. To record. <laughs> So I wanted to get your thoughts on last week's um, episode of Your Honor, which I don't even think we've texted about. So I'm curious to get your feedback on, um, well, we did text about one part of it, right? Which is we announced yes. that the family knows that the baby exists. <laughs> yes, but, uh, but this is, you know, one of those things. Okay. I know last season, which we did not discuss in real time, I had a lot of problems with inconsistencies and unbelievable things. And yeah. just on a human level, anyone knows the first grandchild in a family is mm -hmm. all anybody can ever talk about, at least for the first year of the child's life. So the right. fact that we have seen no discussion with her about seeing this baby, about seeing my grandchild, about seeing my namesake is completely unbelievable to me. But right, right. I would rather that than some sort of I'm hiding the fact that I have a baby situation. So I'll <laughs> take it. 
Absolutely. The only defense I'll make of this, by the way, which I totally agree that it was confusing. It wasn't that I think that the show is doing a good job of illustrating this. I just assume there's no way that this is the case. And luckily it turned out to not be this, uh, but, but like you and my sister both had the same reading on it. So it must mean because something it's so about- unbelievable that no one <laughs> right. would mention a baby as both of us having the first grandchild in our family, right? That right, we exactly. know nobody even cares about you anymore. You're just a means <laughs> right. to see the baby. So, <laughs> and the defense I'd make of the show, and I don't even know if they've thought about it this much, but the one defense I would make is that we are seeing this probably a year, maybe even more than a year later. So I can imagine that they just, the discovery that she's pregnant, she's pregnant with this guy who they have this you know very complicated relationship with, obviously, and then they want her to move there. She Maybe there's all this fighting going on. She moves out of the house. So point being that this is maybe a very, very sore point, which dragged on for many, many months. We're at a point where they're at a stalemate where they're like, we, we don't talk about it anymore. Right. So I'm being very generous there. Yes. <laughs> but, no, I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that would be an interpretation that I think would be a valid one. Right. I mean, you can imagine that after a year of fighting tooth and nail, you probably don't even want to discuss the topic because you know, it's going to lead to another uh, explosion. Although to, to, to your original point, I completely agree that even in private, she would not have turned to her husband and just been like, I want to see that baby again. Like, just make it overt. Right. I don't even care about her anymore. I only care about the baby. (laughs) Exactly. At least the baby. (laughs) Would be very real to life. (laughs) Just have her drop off the baby here and then just go about her life. That's right. I actually don't need to see her, but she should let us watch the baby. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. But uh, beyond that, what did you think of uh, the rest of the episode? I enjoyed this. You know, it's interesting to me how much it's changed up its mood, uh, you know, which we've discussed Mm -hmm. before from last season. There is something thrilling about the cliffhangers and the suspense, and I enjoy that too. But this is nice from a more character development type of perspective, I think, the slow burn kind of idea. With Baby Plenty still happening, I don't feel like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, this setup with... Big Mo and Little Mo mm-hmm. and yes. mm-hmm. all of that. Very interesting <laughs> to me. There's more suspense and, around all of that. <laughs> yeah, really. Because it seems like a real mess at this point. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I loved the scene in the bar with Michael and Baxter talking about yeah. mm-hmm. that one moment. And I think in a much different scale, all of us have those thoughts of our life of like, oh, that one decision that I made set in motion all of these other events in my life. And so very believable to me in such dire circumstances that he would be tracking back. There's this idea in law of like proximate cause of like, well, what Mm -hmm. was the thing that really set all of this in motion and caused an injury? And so it makes sense to me that he'd be tracking back, like what was my last clear chance to avoid sitting here today where I am now? And wondering if that was the moment. But of course, the answer he gets from Baxter, although I thought delivered very sincerely, was not Mm -hmm. believable to me in that even if Jimmy Baxter decided not to kill the kid immediately, somebody was going to kill the kid immediately. (laughs) Especially, (laughs) exactly, knowing what a Lady Macbeth situation we have going on here. I don't think there's any way that kid was going to survive. So... I hope that Michael is not taking it too hard because I don't think the honest truth is that they all could have lived happily ever after had they just come clean. I totally agree with everything you just said. My general taste, 
I would have liked to have left it in a place where maybe even if we just believe that Jimmy believes the mm, you know, better mm-hmm. angels of his nature that he would not have done this, I would have left that ambiguity. And I remember in the moment watching that scene going, wow, that was a really good scene. It's the kind of scenes I want to see with these two actors, like, you know, face to face, having these types of conversations. And then it's undercut two seconds. They don't even wait a minute. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. seconds later, he's talking to Frankie yeah. and Frankie goes, was that for real? He's like, no, I would have killed nope. him with my bare hands. I'm like, we can't have any ambiguity in the show. I, which I, And I did like the episode. I did. But I just, it was a little annoying to me that I'm like, let's leave it a little ambiguous for God's sake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, no wondering there about whether he was really telling the truth. Also, going back further, I thought the scene with the mayor, Charlie, and the Baxters was really well done. And their confusion at not getting exactly what they want and not being able to railroad him into it was fun to watch for me. Going back to what you were touching on before about the difference in tempo from this season to the to the previous one, maybe because the previous season was mapped so closely to the Israeli show. I've never watched it, so I don't know if it maps very closely to mm-hmm. it. It's possible that that was more of like a cliffhanger machine. And I think that the Israeli show lasted more than one season. But since this is the last season, they're like the second season, they've probably just decided, well, how do we end this story? Point, I think that it's become a completely different show in so many ways. Now you have, like you said, uh, shows that are, or episodes, I should say, that are written thematically, right? Last week was very much about these different ways that you deal with loss. And in this one, you have these themes that you're seeing as well. Part of it is these regrets and this playing out of the could have, should have beens, but also there's this other aspect of power, right? How do you actually control uh, circumstances or can you control circumstances? I think that was really great, that scene where you see Charlie and the Baxters and you have them like playing out these different versions of Charlie trying to play the politician and still angling to make this thing look legitimate and trying to think of how do I make this work for me politically? But then of course you have the Baxters on the other side of the table where Jimmy's saying, hey, I could be a really good friend. And Gina's like saying, we could be a really bad enemy. And mm-hmm. these are all It's all playing out like in that one conversation. So I thought that was very interesting as well. Was there anything else in the episode you wanted to talk about? You know, I just get so stressed for Eugene. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In his young life, he has seen so much crap. <laughs> he just keeps finding himself in the worst situations. And it seemed like he was finally starting to settle in and have a nice relationship with his guardian and disturbing drawings aside. It just feels like this kid cannot catch a break. I'm a little bit just concerned of of how all of this is going to play out. And I'm a little bit concerned also for the club owner as to how, like, what is his plan? Because it seems like either way, it's not going to end well for him. Yeah, Um, Gina's not going to be happy either way. Right. Like, he's not a major character here, but he's gotten a couple of ultimatums and it seems like all of it ends with him ending. (laughs) Right. um, (laughs) Exactly. Not that I've, you know, grown so fond of him, but it just, you know, (laughs) feels like a crappy situation to be in. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I like the call back to the bouncing ball. Charlie can hear it's him. trying to get him to answer the door. He knows he's in there because he can hear the ball. Rosie Perez's plot remains a mystery to me. Yeah, exactly. Her, not her plot, her plan remains a mystery to me. But now she's bringing sure. in Dr. And, and Detective Costello has been drawn into this as well. Yes. She wants her to help motivate Michael. Mm-hmm. Michael needs additional motivation somehow. The question I had actually was, or maybe one of the questions I had was, with Eugene, that when he sees the phone ringing, and, and by the way, I actually think that he's going to save the day somehow here with this deal because he has that bag of money and he's going to somehow be a surrogate here and, and maybe that's going to create tension with 
little Mo because little Mo kind of um, keeps screwing up. And that's kind of a th- motif here as well. But yes, the, well, thing the that was other more- time, I mean, in, in big Mo's eyes, he screwed up. Yes. But yeah. it was a conscious choice he made to let Eugene go. But it makes her seem like she's critical of some, some of his decision making. And he made some really terrible decisions this week as well. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But Eugene, when the phone's ringing and he doesn't doesn't answer it, obviously, because he's worried, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but she is not aware that Lil Mo let him go, right? She She's believing correct. that he actually disappeared, right? Okay, yeah. That's my he, understanding, yes. And also it goes back to the fact like you messed up last time, as in, yes. I think if she knew what was going on uh, or where right. he was. Lil Mo just told her that he got away. She doesn't talk to her sister very much. <laughs> I assume. Is that her sister? That wasn't entirely clear to me. I keep calling her sister when I do the recaps. I don't know if, yeah, it's, she's some cousin. So I guess it could be from the other side of the family. So it's possible that it may not be sisters, but it is a good question though. I think they talk next week. So I guess we'll know a little bit more. Mm. So yeah, I've been, uh, I've been enjoying this probably more than I expected to be honest. So yeah, I agree. So the other thing, one recommendation I had for you, and I I know you've watched at least one of these. I have seen all four of the available episodes. This has become very popular, by the way. So I'm very happy to see this. Uh, the show is Poker Face on Peacock. Mm-hmm. Peacock has obviously not had any kind of breakout hits. Even things that got a little bit of buzz of Pe- on Peacock really have not taken off. But I think Poker Face was one of the five most streamed shows last week. Uh, audience reaction has been very strong. Critical reaction has been very strong. Of course, it helps, by the way, that that first episode is available to everybody to watch for free. So right. maybe it will be enough to convince people to uh, get the Peacock subscription. And uh, considering, I mean, I think I'm paying uh, 89 cents a month for it. <laughs> I mean, it's really not a bad uh, deal, honestly. Mm-hmm. So you just caught up on this, I think today, right? You just watched it? Yes, that's right. Just minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and what'd you think? I know you like Natasha Leon, right? You watched uh, Russian Doll, which we reviewed the second season of it here on the podcast. I like Natasha Leon. I don't love Natasha Leon, but I have mm-hmm. no problem with her. This, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I like a procedural. I like a mystery. I like the thing where the main character has some kind of bizarre ability to tell when people are lying or a memory that you know can recall details from 10 years ago or you know that kind of thing is very uh fun to me so i like that feature of it i like the um guest stars in this episode Mm -hmm. right adrian brody benjamin bratt very fun to watch i liked what they did with the timeline without explicitly Mm -hmm. telling you what was going on although for me, as someone that has a little bit of some sort of face blindness, it was a little bit challenging <laughs> because then I thought like, wait, I thought I just saw that person get shot. So, <laughs> that was a little bit challenging. And Orange is the uh, new black um, reunion, by the way, for that act, those two actresses. So. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I thought it was very enjoyable to watch. What did you think? Yeah, I, lo- I loved the first episode. I thought it was just a, a perfect hour of TV. It just, I have a huge problem, as we've discussed previously on this podcast, with pilots. I think that they have to do too much. They're a little too clunky. They do yes. too much setup and they're not yes. satisfying in and of themselves. So that's my general issue. And this was like the opposite. I've seen the next three episodes, which are all available right now. And I liked all of the episodes, by the way. They're all very satisfying mysteries, but it becomes very much a procedural, right? Like she mm-hmm. is driving to another town. She's on the lamb after. The- it's a nice setup, though. Something I it's haven't a great seen before. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
and she basically drives into a different town. And now she is, you know, someone who has based on her biography, been living just in one place. So in some ways she actually makes a joke that she's like, I've become a death magnet. <laughs> but, well, it's like the opposite of, right. We used to joke. I mean, this is very, very dated, but murder. She wrote, we would be like yes. this small mm-hmm. town yep. in Maine and people are just oh, dropping dead mm-hmm. left and yep. right. So it's the opposite. Now it's wherever she goes, the murder. Whenever she her. goes, <laughs> exactly. there's dead people somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> And I mean, that's actually what's kind of interesting. If you want to read it thematically, it's as if there's, you know, people dying everywhere all the time. And if you were a human lie detector, which is what she does, she just catches people on the lie. And then she starts saying like, huh, why are they lying? So it's not that someone immediately in her purview dropped dead. It's just the fact mm-hmm. that although that kind of is what's happening, that it's that because she knows somebody's lying, she starts to pull and pull and pull and eventually unravels the story. It's uh, structured the same way as you've already seen, where the death happens at the beginning of the episode, and then we go back in time, and then we see how her story intersects with theirs. It's a little more believable than Murder, She Wrote, because she is on the lam, and she's kind of always in a situation where she's basically surrounded by people who are also on the fringes of society. So it's not so strange that you know she's kind of stumbling into uh, these unsavory situations. But it becomes very procedural and very entertaining, by the way, still, but not as great as that first episode, which I thought just did such an incredible job to set up her character, her backstory, the way her powers work. It has its own internal story, this little mystery that's being solved, and a bigger mystery that still is unresolved, which I assume will be played out over the course of the season. And of course, it sets her out on the road, and these characters are still after her, right? So the the background, there's still this story developing. It's uh, really excellently done, I thought. It was a lot of fun. Is the bigger mystery that's unresolved about the video? Yes, what she saw, because obviously we have not seen what is actually happening on the video and uh, why, uh, well, not the why, we know who's after her, and I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but there's someone who's after her for a very specific reason, which is made completely clear, not related to the video, but the video is part of this bigger mystery. But we still don't know whatever she did in the past because she seems to be very afraid of this person who somehow let her survive something that she did in the past, but she's always known that like this check is coming due. So that's part of this whole mystery as well. So there's a mystery of character as well as a mystery of uh, the storyline. I found myself wondering also about the character's background, just, you know, what she shared was very interesting, but then I'm wondering Mm -hmm. like, well, does she have parents? Where are her parents? You know, (laughs) Um, stuff like that. How does she end up in this circumstance? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was wondering about that. And I very much like the line, um, I'm going to fracture it now, but being rich is better than being poor, but not as good as doing just fine or something like that. Um, I liked (laughs) that line. I liked her attitude about that. Exactly. But she could, and she apparently used this power, you could imagine, in Vegas as a gambler. And naively, she went in there, guns a blazing, like stealing money from, not stealing, but uh, actually winning, honestly, money. But, you know, of course, when you have this ability, you um, can make a lot of money very quickly. But rather than socking it away and being smart about it, she um, she blew it all. Now she's been banned from ever gambling again. Her the name is kind of famous in the casino world just making ends meet, working at this casino, living in a trailer park. Well, that's where we meet her at the beginning of the show. Very curious to see how things go for the rest of the season and where she ends up. Like, it'd be very interesting to see her. I mean, she could do this professionally if she can get herself out of the specific um, circumstance now. She can do this as a uh, as a career, potentially, in the future. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what happens to her. And then maybe we'll discover in, like, in season two, which I'm pretty certain they'll probably green light a season two, considering how successful it's been. You know, maybe we'll find out more about her backstory. Maybe like where yeah. her 
siblings, whereas her family, et cetera. So, and there's probably more, probably been running away from something else in her past anyway. So it's, it, it, I found it very, very entertaining. So I highly recommend everybody check that out. And it's going week to week now after those first four episodes. Oh, I didn't after, realize that. Okay. Yeah. It'll be continuing week to week after that. Uh, it seemed like they're going to have a lot of fun. I don't know if guest star is the right word yes. because of the mm-hmm. yeah. format of the show, but it seems like there were going to be a lot of fun, well-known actors in it from the preview. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because of the anthology format of this or procedural format of it, it very much like Murder, She Wrote, where you have like a guest murderer every week. <laughs> and Columbo right. as another reference point, especially with the way the story is structured, where the murder, we see the murder occur at the beginning, and then she solves the mystery over the course of the episode, which is exactly how things were structured, the Columbo movies and, and TV show. Oh, great bit also about her having the coffee. I really enjoyed that as well. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, she just Benjamin Brad thinks she's done things coke. out very rapidly. <laughs> yeah. And kept excusing it as like, I've had coffee. Yeah, she's very entertaining in this. I thought I thought really liked her. I think the only negative reviews I've heard, I guess people don't know Natasha Leone. They're like annoyed by her. I'm like, well, so you do have to be accepting of that performance of hers. But, yeah, uh, I mean, you... this is her. It, right down <laughs> right. to like, every time I look at her, I'm like, why can't she deep condition her hair? It looks like it really <laughs> needs some like tender, loving care. Looks very dry at the end. <laughs> but that's her thing. That's her shit. She is out of the desert in a convertible with, uh... <laughs> so it's, it's possibly the case. I mean, yeah, just throw some olive oil in it, something. The um, last recommendation I had for you, and I don't think you've seen any of this. I just watched it last night. I caught up on it which was shrinking on uh, Apple TV. Yes, I have been wanting to check that out. It's going week to week. They've had two episodes week one. They're 25-minute episodes or so, maybe 30 minutes. This is from the same production team who brought us Ted Lasso that has some of the same limitations of Ted Lasso. It really wears its heart on its sleeve. So if that's something that bothers you, you may not like this, but considering the phenomena that Ted Lasso is, I guess there's a big audience for this. I would say if you are a fan of Ted Lasso, there's about an 80 to 90% chance that you're going to also be a fan of this. It is not sports related at all. This is about uh, Jason Siegel is a psychiatrist, I believe, psychiatrist, who mm-hmm. has, I, I don't know if he's a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, but I think he's a psychiatrist, who has lost somebody in his family, someone close to him. And he's dealing with it very, very badly. <laughs> he literally mm-hmm. is just like partying at all day and all night. He has a teenage daughter who he's alienated from because of this situation he's going through. And he just basically can't take it anymore. Can't listen to people's problems every single day. So he just starts giving them straight up advice, like saying, this is what you need to do right now uh-huh. to fix your life. It has positive consequences, but then there's always these kind of unexpected consequences um, as well. But what I would say is the pilot's a little clunky as they often are, but the second episode really won me over. Uh, this also has Harrison Ford in it. The, the cast is really strong across the board. The patients, I thought they were going to be almost like patient of the week. They're not. They continue to mm-hmm. pop up in the subsequent episodes. You see how they take one step forward, two steps back in their own, this evolution. You start to realize that all these characters we've seen in the show are actually have these other um, connections to each other. And in a way, all these people broken in their own ways are helping each other through this circumstance. And I mm-hmm. thought that was very like open-hearted and kind of sweet. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Very much, once again, giving me Ted Lasso vibes. For right now, at this moment, I don't think this is as successful as Ted Lasso. It, it is, of course, only two episodes in. But I have to give credit for any kind of show that, A, hard on its sleeves, 
like its core mantra is to, you know, make the world a better place and to also center like mental health as a theme. And, and it's also very funny, like in the meantime, by the way, this is not serious. This is, I mean, this is very serious thematically, but very funny in execution. So uh, yeah, I think this is a very positive uh, show to put out there. And like I said, if you like those Ted Lasso vibes and Ted Lasso's coming back in a couple of months, you want something to tide you over until then. This is a very entertaining and um, solid, uh, I think, show. Good to know. All right, Sona. So for this week's episode, we start off right where we left off after last week. We had that moment where Michael and Jimmy are looking at the baby together, this moment where they're shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy decides to give Michael a ride home. And of course, knows exactly where Michael's staying. He's staying at his mother-in-law's house. Mm-hmm. So first, can I say, I don't yeah. really like to comment on people's appearances that much because, okay. you know, generally what's the point? But I will say, um, I'm not real familiar with the actor that plays Jimmy Baxter, so I don't know mm -hmm. him from anything else. But this um, this portrayal of this character, I feel like I'm watching a cartoon sometimes. Do you know what I'm <laughs> yes. saying? Like his face yeah. is so, the lines of his face are so angular in a certain mm -hmm. way that it just feels like a cartoon villain, some of the expressions that he's making. And I felt this episode really showcased that feature. <laughs> It, I will say that I very much like Michael Stuhlbarg as an actor. He was really excellent. I think he got an Academy Award nomination playing the dad in uh, Call Me By Your Name. Uh, he just recently played one of the cannibals in uh, the uh, Bones and All movie. A extremely terrifying performance there, by the way. Very disturbing. And just very different types of uh, characters. Most people who watch HBO, for example, will recognize him from Boardwalk Empire which I think was his big breakthrough at the time. Uh, he had been mostly a theater actor. And what I'll say is I really do like his uh, work in general. And maybe because we're spending so much time with him this season, I agree that he has these, like you said, almost like something out of a silent movie, these kind of like very angular. It's just, it's also, it's not yes, only his performance. It's the way they shoot him is so yeah. exaggerated. Yeah. I did find it very funny. Because funny. I'm yes. Googling right now, actually images of him. And I don't see that feature in these other photographs of him. It's only as this character. So maybe he gets credit for somehow <laughs> doing <laughs> this with his face for the character. I'm not sure because these other pictures don't reflect that. And then one out of every four or five pictures is from your honor. And I see that characteristic <laughs> yes. again so it's very interesting to me but anyway in this um, particular episode I really felt like I was watching a cartoon villain and I'm not saying that um, in a bad way I don't think it was silly or cartoonish it's just the way he arranges his face is so remarkable <laughs> yes. to me I also once again I think it might be the, the director's choices because he wasn't the only one that I found was kind of almost shot like a silent movie in this episode. There's also the heroin dealer who is basically just like scowl more. I need Fair, you. Yeah. It's, like, it's just like one scowl the whole entire time. Mm. But uh, I mean, I think once again, just because we spend so much time with Jimmy, I think it is more pronounced. Right. So we return to the car and the creepiest <laughs> yes. whistled rendition of happy birthday that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yes, yes. And he knows, as I mentioned before, that where he's staying, so obviously they're watching him. They're not the only ones who are watching him. Olivia's there also watching 
him get dropped off. He gets invited to Charlie's 50th birthday party. Not a great idea, I don't think, and cross the board for Jimmy, although Jimmy has a plan. He also wants Michael to bring Charlie along. So everybody's trying to work an angle here with Michael. Soon thereafter, Olivia shows up. She's very excited about this. Apparently, this is all part of her plan. Her plan is executing perfectly. We don't know what that plan is, though, but something is executing perfectly here. She likes what she sees. A couple of things here. She mentions the fact that she likes to play the horses, and you have to know the horse. You got to read the horses, see what their strengths are and weaknesses, and she sees something in Michael. Michael's her racehorse that she's putting all her money on. She basically says, Michael, you're good when things get messy. <laughs> that's That's what she sees in him. Mm -hmm. Which I guess is true to some extent based on season one. He's a mutter. <laughs> exactly. I also like the fact that she says that he, when they actually go to style him at her, this um, tailor. Oh, I love this. He's got a Saddam Hussein thing going on, which is actually true. Uh, well, I also like the fact that- an Albert Einstein thing. And then the tailor <laughs> yes. says more like Saddam Hussein in a hole. <laughs> yes. And I especially like the fact that later on he sees a reflection of himself in the mirror and he mentions to Sophia, this is much mm -hmm. later in the episode- do you see Saddam Hussein mm. in my look right now? And she goes, now it's all I can see, <laughs> which I completely agree. I was like, last week I was saying, I was comparing him to Bob Ross. And now when he was in the suit, in the blazer, I'm like, well, he really does look like Saddam Hussein when they found him in the play. <laughs> Hiding in a hole with a blazer on for some reason. <laughs> yeah, this whole thing was um, very entertaining to me. <laughs> yes. Turns out, by the way, that the tailor, of course, there's a lot more to that. He, mm -hmm. uh, she wants to put a bug on him. Mm -hmm. So Monique calls her sister. We find out that, yes, indeed, they are sisters, Sheila. Yes, I loved how clearly the whole familial relationship was <laughs> yes. spelled out. They did in the previews have that reference to auntie and nephew, which I had forgotten, I guess, when we talked about the episode. But you were onto it last week. But here it was very clearly spelled out. He had called her auntie. But, you know, that can mean a lot of things. So it's, it doesn't necessarily... Uh, now I certainly call a lot of people auntie that are not actually related to me. So. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, especially in your culture too, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of aunties. Yep. But here, like you said, everything's delineated. <laughs> Something else gets mm -hmm. delineated very comically later on, but I'll get around to that when we get to the birthday party. <laughs> so yeah, Monique has called Sheila. Sheila's response is, who died? <laughs> yes. She She's basically looking for Lil Mo. And in an earlier scene in this, in this current episode, she got a call from prison she wants to let her son sit and wait i guess apparently he probably had gotten into trouble in the past he's mm -hmm. been on the straight and narrow and of course this is all part of the tension of having mo around again and mm -hmm. we all know that they got arrested last week poor aunt sheila that was my my takeaway from this episode yes but i do feel bad for sheila yeah. she's really caught she's up in trying all so hard and the, all this stuff is just swirling around her something interesting here and maybe this is the point of having this character Olivia, earlier on in the episode, when she's talking to Michael, Michael's basically asking her, like, what do you want from me? Like, what are you trying to figure out here? And Olivia has this theory that everybody who's one of these criminals, they always have this grand scheme, like, I'm going to get out, I'm going to be legit, and they always overextend themselves, and that's when they start making mistakes. And maybe that's the metaphor we're seeing here with Monique, because right now, she's in this really tough situation where she sent her money to do this heroin deal, mm -hmm. which could blow up in her face, obviously. And simultaneously, she's also trying to do this club deal. And maybe that's a little too big for her because now she's encroaching on the Baxters and that can make trouble for her. So it's interesting that we have these two scenes kind of playing out next to each other in the show. Mm -hmm. Some other things are happening. Poor Sheila, like you mentioned, not, you know, Eugene's still staying with her, obviously. This scowling drug dealer. 
<laughs> is snooping around her house looking for this cash. And I mean, this is a very stressful part of the show. How do you feel that it is meshing with the rest of the show and what purpose this particular storyline is serving right now? I, I mean, there's definitely going to be more, but do you think we spent too much time on this storyline? The whole Big Mo, Little Mo situation, Texas. Yeah, this whole thing. It's become half the episode. Here's the thing. I enjoy this storyline more than the other storyline right now. <laughs> right. It's, it's more action-packed, right? Right. It might be too much time, but I'm more interested in it. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. I actually don't mind the plot machinations and the characters and the tension that is there in this. You know, Obviously, she's between a rock and a hard place in this particular circumstance, and it could all blow up in her face right now. Mm-hmm. My general question, though, is I don't understand how at this moment, and I could, you know, and I have a theory as to my, what might be playing out here. But at this moment, I still feel like, why are, how does this story <laughs> you know, dovetail with the other one? Right? Other than, like I said, maybe it is, these are two people who are trying to, in very different circumstances, trying to achieve the same thing, which is to legitimize themselves through this investment in, in, in a, a real business, right? Whether it is the waterfront for the Baxters or whether it is this club for Monique. I'm still a little puzzled by where it's all going. How it's all going to come together in the end. Yeah. But I do think it will. I do think it will. I mean, I like the story. I like the characters. To me, it, it feels a little bit like the wire in the way of like <laughs> yes. things that were a little, were introduced in the first season, but not focused on, then become the focus of the following season. Yeah. But I mean, this is only two seasons. So. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think it will be a continuing theme. I, I can't say it bothers me, though. I, I want to know how it's all going to turn out. I think I feel more invested in these characters than I do in the characters in the other storyline for some reason. I think maybe not last week where I thought it was a very strong episode, and maybe even the first two episodes of people dealing with loss in their own particular ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think in this particular episode, this felt like in the context of the relationship between Michael and Jimmy and the Baxters in general, I did feel like that's all middle right now. We're just setting things up. So it was a little less, uh, it's almost like, Mm -hmm. thank goodness they had this other storyline going on because that is literally just people moving pawns around on the, on the board right now at that point. Although they do have a strong scene at the end. So I did like uh, that eventually uh, Michael meets up with Charlie, tells him, you know, you've been invited along with me to this birthday party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and last week I had actually excerpted it from the scenes from the next um, uh, moment from the next episode. The way they cut it together in this, the scenes was Michael saying, we have a grandchild together. And Charlie goes, you're kidding. <laughs> and I love the way he said, you're kidding. It cracked me yes. up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the fact that in this episode, I was laughing to myself because that's not where he uses the you're kidding. He goes, you're, you've been invited to this birthday party. And he says, mm-hmm. you're kidding. <laughs> and then he goes, by the way, we have a grandson together. And I was waiting for you're kidding. <laughs> just making it into a meme. He just says, you're kidding. <laughs> I think that might be where the response to F me came in, but I'm not sure. Yes, that's where the F me came in. Exactly. <laughs> Which could be its own meme as well. <laughs> yeah. So he does invite Charlie and there's a little will he won't the he, but of course he does eventually show up at that party later in the episode. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of just things moving around the board and um but introducing some things thematically that are kind of interesting. We see Gina and Carlo have a conversation at the hotel. Carlo's making some move on some girl who works there at the um coat check mm-hmm. or whatever she's working. <laughs> Gina like insults her, going like, Yeah, you gotta shoot mm-hmm. higher. You gotta shoot higher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
once again, they have one of these strange interactions that they have. Her, her most precious relationship was always with her papa, her papa, her papa Conti, mm-hmm. who uh, makes a comeback apparently at the end, by the end of this episode. This all leads up to that 50th birthday party. And it's funny, Jimmy has invited Michael there, but when he sees Michael interacting with Sophia, he seems pretty uncomfortable. He does not like the fact that she's the one who cut his hair. Mm-hmm. And of course, Gina, Mama Bear, Conti, Baxter, it's, uh, she uh, sees him there and she does not like this at all. Mm-hmm. She tells him to leave. He goes to the bathroom, calls Olivia and says, look, I'm not wanted here. Olivia knows he was just talking to Gina, which of course makes him aware of the fact that he's been bugged. Mm-hmm. He finds the bug in his, um, what do you call those things that keep your collar stay? Collar, collar stay. There you go. Mm-hmm. He disposes of it. Luckily for him anyway. And then yes. he's planning to leave. Charlie has shown up and he's just like, well, you know, let's see how long we can hang around. We make an appearance and then get out of here. But of course, this is a very strange situation also. Oh, it's like a slow motion train wreck. This whole <laughs> situation this whole uh. is excruciating where he says, we got someone new to introduce to the family. Oh, before we get to that, that's the thing I was going to say that I found very funny as well was where he goes, as most of you know out there. I have a new grandchild. And I was laughing to myself after like on this podcast, we spent weeks talking about how nobody knows they have a grandchild. Most of the people there maybe didn't know. They were like, you have a grandkid? What's what's happening here? Honestly, even in this episode. <laughs> yes. I, she's out and about who's watching the child. And then the child has conveniently just gone down. Again, I've lost track of how many months this <laughs> months old this child is. But I just remember that early baby phase. Your whole life is scheduled around this infant, but she doesn't seem to be uh, bound by that. Someone has got to be watching the baby on this particular circumstance, I think. I'm talking about when she visits Michael later. Oh, Um, yes, yes. (laughs) You know, there's just no indication of what's happened to the baby. Um, I mean, yes, I agree. Someone is watching the baby, but it just is very funny to me. And this is not an uncommon thing in TV shows or movies, right? That the baby is really just used for convenience. Very a, convenience, exactly. To drive yes. the plot, but not in a way of like, this is what someone is like <laughs> if they have a baby. So. Exactly. He then goes, I want to introduce someone new to the family. And it's not the baby. No. Our newest member, Judge Michael Desiato. And his best friend, our mayor, mm-hmm. Charlie Figaro. And then they have a whole photo opportunity. They bring in... Carmine Conti, just back from Napoli or where, where mm-hmm. I guess he's been from Sicily, wherever he's been hiding out. Back in the United States for the first time in 30 years. This is unbelievably awkward, right? Not only to have invited the mayor there and then just to have this photo up where he's sitting next to a known mobster. <laughs> oh my goodness. How do you think this is part of Jimmy's plan? He's trying to assert himself having these relationships and keeping these people close to him. And regardless of what the reality is, that's what he wants the perception to be. And I think it advantages him for everyone who sees it. But also, it does give him some kind of leverage over Mike, Michael Desiato and Charlie, that they've been seen in public with him and announced that they're going to be, he's the one is going to be the godfather of the, god, yeah, of the grandson. Of their grandchild, I mean, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> but how does that help? For example, if now Charlie goes and gives him the waterfront deal, how does this photograph of them all hanging out together at his 50th birthday party, which will probably be in the newspaper the next day, how is that going to help him? Doesn't it just make it look like he's a shadier politician? More corrupt. Yeah. 
Let me try and think this through while we're sitting here on the phone. <laughs> sure. I mean, maybe he's trying to throw his whole reputation into question as it is. Yeah, you know, there's a way that definitely hurts his reputation, especially with this kind of right. constituency that he has. Because they made a point in the previews of showing the scene where he said, you know, I didn't run on the basis of making rich people richer. And we also see in the scenes for next week that they say there's more than one way to get rid of a mayor. So do they manufacture some kind of scandal where he mm. looks corrupt? That could be part of the plan. It could be. Although one they're the ones like, that make him look dirty. Closer. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, they're the mob. I mean. <laughs> right. Yeah. What did you think of this interaction between Carmine and his daughter? I didn't know what to think of it. And I think I was too distracted by Mark Margolis showing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was foreboding, I felt, as far as what's going to be to come. Because uh, right. there's a lot of, and again, this is something you put your finger on a while ago. This idea of how the mafia connection is really from her side of the family. And Jimmy has married into it. And now you know, is not doing a good job of continuing on the tradition, I think, um, in their minds. So I feel like they're going to think that's something that needs to be straightened out. That's part of it. You know, Gina has this power play in mind, but uh, obviously Michael's aware of this too. This is all part of his bringing Carmine back as part of this power play as well. It is interesting that like, you know, this kind of family thing is coming full circle. I just find it weird that have her talking about, no, relationship is more precious to me than the one with my daddy back when I was younger. And now we have him back here in the show. I just feel like that mm -hmm. having the dad back is going to make all of Gina's toxic family dynamics even worse. You know, it's kind of, she's going to be emboldened in the way. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to ramp it up because I think he's going to express dissatisfaction. Right. He's going to want to How run things, things basically. Yeah, right? yeah. And Jimmy's not going to be happy with that either. Right. But also, how cool is it that Mark Margolis is back? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've just been rewatching the Breaking Bad. I think I've made it almost all the way through season three now, and I'll have to give you my thoughts on that as well. But so funny to see him, you know, or so fun to see him back here, you know, as I'm catching up. You know, we just saw him, of course, as a significant part of our Better Call Saul coverage, another show we covered last year, and now rewatching Breaking Bad. And now here he is yet again. Yeah, and he gets and to speak. Think... He actually gets to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I also, it occurred to me because clearly, you know, a lot of time has passed since Breaking Bad has ended and everyone has aged, including you and me. Mark Margolis has had a really long career. I mean, I wasn't all that familiar with him in Breaking Bad, I thought. But now mm -hmm. when I rewatch stuff from pre-Breaking Bad, he shows up all the time. Yeah. He's one of those characters. He's just one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. One of those character actors who like it was just constantly working for decades. So yeah, now we get towards the end of the episode. A couple of things ha happen here. We see that Mo had previously put this, uh, some pressure on this fixer guy. I think this uh, police officer that also helps fix things for Charlie as well. She's asking for another favor. He's kind of mm -hmm. getting tired of her asking for favors, but she goes, well, you know, I did get rid of a uh, problem for you last time. And you, know, you want that secret kept. That does get little Mo released from prison. Of course, her henchmen are there as well to take him back to the aunt's house to get the money. He uses one of their phones to give Eugene a heads up to say, get the hell out of there because you don't mm -hmm. want Big Mo knowing that you're still around. That's the, you know, would not be good for you. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, when they get back to the house, uh, the money is gone and someone has come and tossed the house. So, you know, we, we know Ransacked. Was. Poor Aunt Sheila. And, um, and poor Sheila, she has is not happy with the circumstance. But in a way, she's protected it because the heroin dealer, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> or baseball uncle. I'm not <laughs> exactly. Sure. Baseball uncle, um, you know, dro- <laughs> heroin uh, dealer uh, has tossed the house. <laughs> so he doesn't think the money's there, at least so that probably protects her to some extent. And then uh, little Mo calls up and big Mo and goes, Mo, I lost the money. I don't know what to do. And she goes, mm, I think I know where that money mm-hmm. is. And uh, it's Eugene has showed up in front of her doorstep. I guess he took a bus <laughs> or I guess he has enough money. I mean, I guess he could just pay a, yeah. a Uber driver <laughs> cash. He's got plenty <laughs> of cash on him. <laughs> he yelled, called Uber. And when they get there, it'd be like, I, did you pay on that app? He's like, no, <laughs> here's a stack of cash. I'm sure they'll just make the ride. No questions. Asked. Yeah. So she, he's shown up with cash in hand and he's got a lot of explaining to do when he talks mm-hmm. to um, Big Mo next week. She's going to have lots and lots of questions. And then at the end of the episode, we see that Charlie has left the party. Michael's about to leave. Sophia's feeling terrible. She's like, I feel uncomfortable around my family. And she gives him a big hug. This once again, mm-hmm. Jimmy with his cartoon face giving <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like a 1930s uh, silent gangster, um, yeah, gangster movie. Exactly. All he needs is a Tommy gun at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Scowling at this situation. Has Frankie intercept Michael as he's leaving? Frankie frisks him very thoroughly, even notices that, that one of the uh, college stay is missing. Michael's got to do a better job. You know, you throw them both away. You throw them both away. You don't just throw away one. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that he decided to keep the other one. <laughs> I'll keep the other one. Weird to commit to keeping it also because your collar might be a little bit lopsided that way. So mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. One collar popping up, the other one laying yeah. down flat. And then after frisking him thoroughly, he gives him a punch <laughs> just for the heck of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then we have a pretty good scene here between Jimmy and him where Mm -hmm. Jimmy starts asking a lot of very good questions. Like, why are you out now? You just happen to be delivering meat to my restaurant? Like, uh, very good questions to be asking, by the way. Very interesting. Once again, maybe speaking to Olivia's um, fourth dimensional chess moves here. She just said, hey, you don't have to be uh, wily at all. You just be yourself. And uh, that's how we get through this thing. Because one thing that Michael is, is suicidal. <laughs> he basically says, <laughs> yeah. go ahead, just kill me, put me out of my misery. <laughs> it's true. And uh, oh, that seems gosh. to work. That move seems to work for, for Jimmy. Uh, convincing, very convincing. Oh my goodness. I mean, we're laughing now, but it was very dark at the time. Exactly. So his reaction is kind of, well, screw this. It's no fun then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She was like, well, that was I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> I need to regroup. I'll be back. <laughs> exactly. I need a new strategy here. This guy wants to die. <laughs> but I did think that was an interesting move, right? It's like, you know, in a way, I guess that's kind of what works for his for her strategy here, Olivia's strategy in using him. I mean, exactly he's not that. driven by fear, right? Because exactly. what's the worst case scenario is Something that at least a part of him is looking for anyway. Right. Exactly. But that does raise the question that, you know, let's say at that moment, he really is just kind of like, just put me out of my misery. I don't want to deal with this anymore. 
theoretically, are people still going to go after Charlie? I mean, why would anybody care? Honestly, I, I would assume the thing that keeps him going and it's legitimate is, you know, his grandson, he wants to probably spend time with his grandson, but not only that, worse than that is without his assistance, is his grandson just going to be like a mob boss one day? Like, who wants that for their grandkid? Right. right. I mean, that's something I hadn't thought of, but I do think they've done a really good job at establishing this idea of Jimmy and Sophia are one way and the mom and the brother are the other way. So I think as much as Sophia certainly enjoys the benefits of this lifestyle, right? Living in her big hotel room, I feel like she would protect her child from ending up in the same situation, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, that is actually something that could be something that develops when she goes to Michael and says, like, I want out of my family. I can't live here right. anymore. She could potentially be used as leverage against them in the future. She can turn it on them, basically. I can't remember if it was in this episode or in the previews, Michael telling Fia that he can't see her anymore or can't see the baby yes. anymore, right? Yeah. So that's in the maybe, scenes. Yeah, yeah, maybe that drives her to say, well, if I have to make a decision... I'm going to choose this side and not not the Baxter family side. Yeah, I mean, does Olivia at some point approach her? I think mm-hmm. that's where we leave things. Uh, another interesting thing that happens in the scenes coming up when Olivia confronts Michael, and I assume you know, they don't show the whole conversation, but I assume Michael says, "Well, I had to take the bug out, or else they would have murdered me." And she, her response is, "Too bad they didn't murder you last night. I could have taken them all down for murder." <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Michael's like, oh, yeah, great. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm Would just have been baked. so much easier. Very efficient. <laughs> exactly. That's one way to take them down, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So how did you like the episode overall? I really enjoyed it. I think um, I'm enjoying this season in a way I didn't expect to because... I was thinking they would do more of the same for last season. And to me, that wouldn't have been sustainable. So right. I, I really, I honestly am really liking this as more of like a character study type of show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I, I don't miss like having those weekly cliffhangers. I don't think it's right. necessary. And, um, you know, I kind of liked the way that they wrote these episodes. The first couple episodes of the season, very much thematically about dealing with death, dealing with loss understanding in a way like how they're all trapped by their circumstances. Obviously, Mo is by the way she's built her empire, but now she's kind of trapped by those things. And so is uh, Jimmy. And so is Michael by the decisions he's made as well. I would like to kind of see all these things kind of developing a little more um, in parallel. Mm-hmm. But but in general, I think they are doing that and they're doing it well. They're still trying to give us enough of stuff happening week to week to you know, keep us engaged as like from a thriller perspective, especially when you look at the Monique situation, like that bag of money is going to, um, you know, it's almost like until now, anyway, we're always wondering like, where's that bag of money going to end up? Is Eugene going to run away with it? Is he Mm going to, you know, reveal himself to Big Mo? So now we kind of know where that landed, but that doesn't mean that storyline's over, right? Uh, No, not at all. Trey could potentially be in deep trouble with that drug dealer. Yeah. And, um, and you know that's and ironic, funny. right? Because they wanted to do a bunch right. of small deals, and then he got yep. like kind of <laughs> shoved into doing the one big deal, and that's part of the problem now. So yeah, that storyline is very interesting, and you know, I'm, I'm still curious. I'm very curious, I should say, to see how it all plays out. I agree, and we'll uh, have to wait and see. 
All right. So I will talk to you soon. Great. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.